0: Well, good morning. Uh, I am not Bryce Holbrook. Uh, I am what would happen to Bryce if he lost his hair and stayed in the sun. Uh, but I am glad to be here with you guys. Uh, I want to open with prayer, and then I want to get into what the Lord has given me to share with you uh, today. So if you would, let's bow and let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, all the things that you do for us. The things that we are aware of, as well as those that uh, we sometimes overlook. Thank you for grace that is seen and unseen. Thank you for the privilege that we have of coming to this place of worship, opening your word, feasting on what you have for us. Thank you for the time we've had to sing praises to your name, for truly you are worthy of all of our praise. And how I pray for. The vintage church. I pray for this body of believers that, Lord, you would continue shaping, molding them into the church you want them to be. I pray for their pastor. I ask you, Lord, to bless him today. And I pray that as we would open up your word, that you'd open up our hearts and that you would let your word fall on good ground and spring up in good fruit. I simply ask you, Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us until we want no more. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. amen well again I'm grateful to be with you uh, I'm Lee Brand and I uh, have a privilege of just being here to share with you on today I want to express my gratitude to your pastor uh, Bryce and I go back many years from uh, our days at Mid-America and uh, I have the pleasure of serving there now and I bring you greetings from Mid-America uh, we're still engaged in what I think is great work of lighting the way as we champion the Bible missions and evangelism thank the lord my family's here with me today Uh, my beautiful wife Tiffany is there in the back and our five children Uh, yeah we rolled deep Uh, we jumped out of our black suburban and uh... on our way up we saw there had to be somebody here who thinks like we think because we saw a big black van that uh... that we're a little jealous of because we we need one and there's none in the area we've been looking and so whoever that is I'd love to talk to you when we're done uh, on a whole nother uh, uh... on a whole other set of ideas, so, um, but today, man, most importantly, I want to deal today with what I think is one of the most important matters in the Christian life, and that is the spiritual discipline of getting into the Word, of being in the Word of God, and talking specifically from a question today about what drives us to get into the Word. What should be our motivation for getting into God's word? And you've seen the scripture uh, already. You've heard it read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to go there in a minute. But let me set it up for you. This is Paul's second letter where he's writing to Timothy. And really what you watch is the window closing on Paul. His life is coming to an end. And you're watching him pass the torch off to this young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was taken under Paul's wing in Acts chapter 16 when Paul journeyed through the areas of Lystra and Derby. And Paul would later send Timothy to a church in Ephesus to serve there as their pastor. The young man faced a lot of challenges because he was inexperienced as a leader and the first time Paul wrote to him he really gave him what I think is like a training manual for this is a how-to guide for a young pastor. And apparently Timothy had done enough with the first letter to kind of get him in trouble. And Paul had to write the second one, encouraging him to stay with it. Keep going and don't quit. The apostle employed the first three chapters of this second epistle. And if you read the verbs in the chapter, you'll find things like this. He's admonishing Timothy to be strong, to teach faithful men, to endure hardship, to be deeply considerate of what Paul has written him, to remember Jesus Christ, to remind the saints of how how God is how Christ is. He reminds him to study God's word, to shun profane and idle babblings, to flee youthful lusts, to pursue righteousness, to avoid foolish disputes, to be aware of the times, to turn away from evil men, and continue in the things that he has learned. And that little phrase, continuing in the things that he has learned, is really the springboard or the setup that gets us into the text we're going to be reading today. And in verse 16, I'm reading New King James, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, now you may not be called to preach. And so you say, well, this is written to a preacher has nothing to do with me. Yes, it does. Because even though we're not called, you you may not be called to be a preacher, pastor, all of us are called into a faith where we're called to grow, to flourish, to develop. And the way we do that is by being rooted in the word of God. And all of us need this message because the same truth that Paul was giving to Timothy should be there to motivate all of us. This exhortation to get in God's word, stay in the word of God. If you look back, he says in verse 15 that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's what he's telling them to stay with. He says, this is what you stay with the word. And now he starts to unpack this word. And so our question today that we're going to ponder, what drives us to get into God's word? I think there are three truths he brings out here that I want to share with you today. The first one, we should be driven to study the Bible when we understand the gift of scripture. Having the Bible is a gift of from God and we're going to unpack that but then secondly not just because that it's a gift but also understanding what we gain from scripture there's so much to be gleaned and to gain and to grow from in the word of God and then finally the final reason we'll talk about today that should drive us to study the Bible is when we understand the goal of scripture and I watched this and there's something a friend of mine and I were talking about this last night As much as we can write our notes about the Bible, as much as we should be in the Word of God to to take good notes and learn all we can, the Bible is not just about filling up our head or our heart. It's about learning it so it can be produced, that truth can motivate us to live, and Paul's going to talk about that. So let's go back and take it from the top. We're driven to study the Bible when we understand the gift of Scripture. Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. As Paul encourages Timothy to continue in the word of God, the aged apostle gives the first reason that Timothy and any Christian should be driven to get into the word. It's because the Bible is literally the word of God. The first part of verse 16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god one translator says that it's more accurate to say every scripture is god breed from the beginning of genesis to the close of revelation every bit of it is god's word but now in fact when paul writes this all they have is an old testament there is no canonized or brought together new testament and what paul is hammering timothy on is that old testament genesis to malachi That was breathed from the lips of almighty God. Now as sure as the Old Testament was inspired, though Paul is not explicitly referring to the New Testament here, I have no doubt. Nor did the early church have any doubt. The New Testament writings were inspired by God just like the Old Testament. In the Bible we have the gift of God's recorded words to all of his creation. We have the gift of his collected thoughts, his will, his desires, and all that we can know in this life of his purposes for us. This is a gift like no other. How often do we read in the Old Testament where the prophets are told that this is the word of the Lord, it came to them, or you'll read the opening of a prophetic book that says the burden of the word of the Lord to the prophet, then it puts his name there. Because it's not just the words of men. Did God use people with a pen in hand? Absolutely. But don't mistake the writer for who the author is. The person who put the pen in the paper is not the origin of this word. It's God himself. This idea of God inspiring men with his word is seen over and over in scripture. Peter is going to address that same fact in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 when he wrote this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was God doing something in the hearts of these people. That caused them to utter in the Old Testament and then write down what we have in our Bible. So as we talk about this gift we have, realize first of all that it's God's mouth that gave us the gift. The Bible we hold in our hands is the very word that was breathed from the mouth of God. This word came from From and across the lips of Almighty God. Yes, holy men put pen to paper, but the Lord worked in such a way as to insulate these men from incorporating any error into his word. God used each of those Bible writers to put the words down in a lasting written form. So that they could be passed down, studied, and applied to all the lives of all of his children across all time. This is a great gift because it comes from the mouth of God. So why study? Because it's God's word to you and me. But in keeping down that same trail, not just the mouth the word came from, but the magnitude of this gift. If what I just said is true, if this is the very word of God, then what? If this is his word. We have noted God gave the gift of the Bible that came from his mouth. But if this is God's word, what bearing does that have on our lives individually and as a body of believers? Since these are the collected words of God, these words are not offered as mere suggestions. We have no right to modify them. We should not attempt to soften the truth proclaimed in his word, but we should be willing to bring our lives into complete alignment with all the Bible's teachings. Because if God is the author of scripture, it is God to whom we're accountable for being obedient to his word. A person who refuses to adhere to what the Bible teaches is not simply deciding to set aside the teachings of an old book written by some old men. That person is a person choosing to live in direct rebellion to the God breathed words that come upon all creation for all time. So we should be driven to study the Bible because we understand it's a gift from God. But not just that. The next thing he says that this scripture that is given by inspiration of God is profitable. He says for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He continues in this exhortation to Timothy by telling him that every scripture is profitable. The idea is that everything in Scripture is good, it is useful. All the truth of Scripture is beneficial for all people. There are benefits that are derived from Scripture that we can't get anywhere else. No other writing teaches us about the true condition that we're in, the way the Bible does. For the Bible is the manual on humanity given from the manufacturer. If you want to know what's wrong with us, how to make it right, God says, consult my book because I made you. I have a Chevrolet Suburban. We talked about the van earlier that I was looking at. That's a Nissan. The same manual doesn't apply to the same two because they have a different manufacturer. Now, here's what I love about God. I don't care what your culture is. I don't care what your background is your make or your model, we're all human. And the Bible is good for every shade, every ethnicity, every person, every economic spectrum. The Bible's right. We don't need something else to figure out what's wrong with any other person than the Bible itself. Now, I'm an interactive preacher. You can say amen. It won't throw me off at all. (laughs) And, And as you watch what... Paul is saying he says it's profitable it's something we can use and then Paul goes further and says this Bible he doesn't address every single thing the Bible is good for but Paul breaks his argument out into four distinct categories Paul urges Timothy to dig into scripture because scriptures are beneficial and advantageous in the areas of doctrine reproof correction and instruction in righteousness Now, listen, I'm not Paul, but I'll make the same argument Paul made. You and I need to make it a daily habit to get in the word of God because it is beneficial. God's word is good. It's instructive and completely accurate. There's much to gain for our lives and for eternity if we would simply dive into the teachings of the Bible. Yes, we should be in the word of God daily. We should should consult its content many times a day because from it we gain. You see, I believe that's what Peter was talking about again when he wrote that famous phrase about newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word so they could grow Thereby, Their growth, their gain, their maturation came from being on the milk and ours comes from being in the word. So these four areas pretty quickly that Paul's going to bring up. He says in the text that it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. Now, as you look at those four phrases, I think Warren Weersby had probably the best way of articulating those four elements or those four categories that I've heard anywhere. He said the Bible helps us to gain an understanding in four areas. First of all, what is right? and then what is not right, and then how to get right, and finally how to stay right. So let's go through those quickly. First of all, the Bible teaches us what is right. The basic idea here is that we gain from the Bible because it's good for doctrine or teaching. There is no issue of life where the Bible does not apply though every situation in life is not directly mentioned in scripture you and I will find that there is no area of life where the Bible does not apply and so this idea of doctrine it tells us what's right we gain an understanding of what's right from the Bible with all the evil information bombarding us through digital and print media we need to be well versed in the Bible because the Bible teaches us what's right if you and I want to be taught correctly about parenting we need to be in the Bible if we want to be taught correctly about authority and how we wield authority and how we submit to authority we learn that from the Bible if we want to learn about true reconciliation it must start in the vertical and then work out into the horizontal we find that in the Bible there's not a situation in life where the truth of Scripture does not apply and so the Bible helps us understand We gain that understanding of what is right, but also we gain understanding of what is not right. Because the next word that Paul uses here is not doctrine, but the word reproof. That next category, what is not right. Paul used the word reproof. Reproof is the bringing about of conviction. That conviction comes because the Bible is applied by the Holy Spirit. To show us that something is not right. In the Bible we gain an understanding of what's not right. In our world where everything is being condoned as right. Everything is right. The world has become Burger King. Just have it your ways. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. But the Bible doesn't say the same. If we're going to call everything right, here's my question. By whose standard? By whose standard is that right? By what metric is that right? Is something right because a person says it's right? Is it right because some group says it's right? Is it right because it feels good? Is it right because it builds my self-esteem? Is it right because it informs my self-image? Or is it right because the God who made us has authority over us and it's right because he says it's right? No matter how many people embrace a behavior, a lifestyle or an opinion, it is not right unless it's in agreement with the teachings of the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we need to be in the Bible so we can see not just what's right, but what's not right. Because the great danger of sin is this. We have equated what feels good to what equals right. And that's not the Bible. The third area that he gets into is not just what's right and what's not right, but how do you get right? And that's this idea of correction. Now, I know in the world we live in, this is, this is you know vulgar language now. You don't talk about correcting anything or anyone, but the Bible does. And there are days when I'm in my personal Bible reading in the morning, and I wish I could tell you I hear the birds chirping outside and I feel good about what I'm reading. There are days when the Bible is like a bag of rocks being swung against my face. There's a picture for you. (laughs) It hurts because I know that where I am at that moment, even if it's my heart disposition, it is not right before God and I'm convicted. But the goal of Scripture is not only to convict. It is to change. It is to correct, it's to modify what's wrong. So Paul continues unpacking these ideas and now gets down to how do you get right? He said it's profitable in the area of correction. This word literally means to cause something to be or become correct. The idea is that something or someone was previously wrong, but through the application of the teachings of the Bible, the person can be made right. This to me It's one of the beauties of the Bible. In the pages of the scriptures, we have the convicting of what is wrong, but also that not being the end. God's goal is not to make you feel bad. God's goal is not to get you broken. It's to break you so he can fix you. If you ever had the misfortune of having a broken bone, thus far in my life I haven't. I've twisted a lot of stuff, sprained a lot of stuff, but haven't had a broken bone. But if that bone is not aligned right, the first thing they must do is set it straight before they cast it. Because if it's allowed to set in a way that's not right, it's going to fuse back crookedly. And here's what I watch so often in our churches. People come and we're convicted. But we never allow God to change us. And so we'll leave on a Sunday broken. And we go all week letting that place in our life fuse crookedly. And we'll talk about how bad we feel. No, God doesn't want you feeling bad. He brings about the guilt so he can bring about the grace. It's to change it. Paul says one of those gains that we have in Scripture is for correction. The same Bible that shows me what's right and what's not right shows me how to get right. When we learn through the pages of Scripture that a person is not made right by self-improvement. We're not made right by our resolutions or by trying harder. We're only made right through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. That's where all wrongs are corrected. Nothing is going to be right until we yield ourselves to the all-time, one-time payment that Jesus made on the cross. All of my inadequacies as a husband, as a father, as a preacher, in every role of my life are satisfied at Calvary. And that's where the great correction happens. And this is why I'm afraid so many of us are getting off. The Bible is not a self-help guide where we get up in the morning and we read it and just resolve, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to do it. Man, I'm fired up. I got up and I read and I prayed, Lord, I'm going to do it today. No, it's Lord, through the power of your spirit, work this out of me as you work it into me and correct me. This is what Paul was talking about, that transformation of life when a life is truly corrected, when he wrote 2 Corinthians 5:17, and he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not the same old house with a new paint job. He blows it up to the foundation, pushes the foundation off, and builds that house new. He said, Old things have passed away and all things have become new. The corrective work of Scripture is done at a moment, the moment of salvation. But it's continually applied in sanctification. And that sanctification process is where we're in the word. The word is washing over us. The spirit of God indwelling us. And day by day the spirit of God works to bend and mold and shape our lives into the shape of scripture. He does that continual work of correction. The Bible shows us how to get right. The last one of those that we gain is now how do we stay right having been made right how do we stay right Paul says the Bible is profitable for instruction in righteousness what Paul introduced here's the concept of instruction not the idea of a student sitting in a chair and a teacher at the board that's not it the word more rightly rendered is the idea of training in righteousness training in righteousness now you can look at me And 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 I spent a lot of my life as a football player, and I came from a little bitty high school. We didn't throw the ball; we ran a lot, because we were kind of built to run the ball. At a two-way high school, our offensive line averaged about 220 across the front. That's big boys in two-way football. I was I played center, and in high school, in the twelfth grade, I was six foot two, 285 pounds. Oh, I was a dog too. (laughs) I don't have a lot of muscles now. I got memories, but, but, back, but back then. But because we didn't pass the football when I got to college, my offensive line coach was trying to show me a, a pass-blocking technique that I just, I told him, I said, I can't do that. I'm not built to do that. He said, no, I need you to pick up your right foot, moving from that spot to this spot. Well, that sounds easy, but the spot's like three feet apart. And you don't just take one of your feet when you weigh almost 300 pounds and move it three feet the other way without a lot of convincing (laughs) and and he said he said look you're the player I'm the coach I've been coaching longer than you've been alive pick your foot up put your foot where I showed you to put your foot and we're I mean we have stopped practice like coach you don't get it this isn't ballet you don't just pick up your right foot and go three feet that way with your right foot so he took his foot and he dug a trench. He said, that's where I want your foot to be. He said, when you snap the ball, all you focus on is getting your foot from where it is into that trench. So as a good player, I go to the line and I'm telling myself the whole time, ain't no way. No way. My foot will not go in that trench. There's no way. I can't even stretch that far. But I'm focused. I'm going to try to do what he said. And guess what happened? I snapped the ball, and I picked my foot up. Guess where my foot landed? In the trench that he had dug with his foot. Because the coach knew something that I was able to do that I didn't think I was able to do. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere, I promise you. You're going to read stuff in the Bible. Lord, there's no way. I have battled this my entire life, and you're telling me to walk in holiness in that? Here's all the coach is saying, pick your foot up and put it down where I told you. I've been doing this a whole lot longer than you have, and I know better than you know. And if you'll just do what I'm telling you, I have empowered you. That's one luxury our, our coach has that that coach didn't have. He can put it in you. So it's not just how do we get right, how do we stay right. It's by this thing called discipline. And guess what? Every day going to practice and practicing that one move of getting that foot from where it was to the other spot, it became like second nature because I was trained into it. I could do it without thinking. There are a lot of things in your life that are only going to happen as you develop the discipline. I told one of my friends one time, I said, man, I've been big my whole life. And I told him, I said, I can't, I, can't, I can't ever be a small guy. I won't ever lose this weight. And my buddy looked at me, and y'all, he hurt my feelings. He said, you had the discipline to sit down and write a 150-page dissertation. And you're going to tell me you can't get up and go to the gym? And I don't know how you are with your friends. I hung up on my friend. <laughs> and later on, I called him back. And we continued from that point, but we had to have some space. <laughs> but the idea is discipline. It is a discipline. One of my mentors told me about reading the Bible. He said, there are days y'all think I get up and it's just fireworks and it's the 4th of July. He said, it's as dry as the dust, but it's a discipline. And the longer I stay in it, here's the truth of it. It may not change my feelings, but it'll show deepen my faith. You gain from it. Last one and we're done. I'm a good preacher. I got three. You already got two. I'm at the last one. You didn't even realize it. We talked about that first part, the gift, the gain. But now what's the goal? What is the goal of all this Bible that we have? Verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The words here in verse 17 are connected to the words in verse 16 by that word that or so that. This word is bridging the gap between what's in 16 and what Paul's about to unpack in 17. The phrase or the word that is actually a word of purpose. He's saying here is God's purpose in giving you All the scripture. Here is God's purpose in all of it being profitable. God has done it so that. The man of God. Now in the context rightly applied, he's talking to the preacher. But by way of application. So the child of God, the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God. Every believer may be thoroughly equipped. May be complete and thoroughly equipped. For every good work. Here's the first goal of scripture. It's to move us to spiritual maturation. Now, I I come to every preaching moment like we're family. Though I've never been with you before, we're family. In Jesus Christ, we're family. I'm just your big cousin from right outside of Tupelo. uh, Who spent almost 20 years in Starkville. Don't throw stuff up here. Oh, uh, and, I, and I migrated to South Haven. But if there's something that I think is a problem in our modern churches, it is a lack of spiritual maturity. And I want to share something with you. Spiritual maturity does not come with birthdays. Spiritual maturity only comes By walking with the Lord and diving into the word. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in 17. That the man of God may be complete. The idea there's not some state of sinless perfection. It is grown to a place of maturity. And a mature Christian, it doesn't mean you're not tempted. It doesn't mean you're not bombarded and hit by stuff. But what it means is even in the tempting... I'm mature enough to know the work of the enemy when I see it. I've grown enough to know he's not meaning me anything good. There's nothing right that's going to come out of me doing this in a way that doesn't honor God. He says he wants you to be complete. He wants you to be mature and strong in your faith. But there's something else he says. He says not just the idea of spiritual maturation, but the latter part of 17, he says thoroughly equipped For every good work. The first goal is spiritual maturation. But the second is also practical mobilization. And that's fancy for do something. There comes a point when all this Bible that we know must be put into action. We have to do something with it. Now, I'm all for notes. I take notes. I'm all for writing it down. I've got two phones back there. That's how complicated my life is. i got two smartphones, and both of the phones are smarter than the operator. (laughs) And I've got notes and stuff everywhere. I've got Bible software on phones, and I've got stuff I can refer to. I've got three or four Bible programs. I can just get in all of them. But none of that means anything if I'm not going to put my hand to the plow and do the work. I I gave you the illustration about football earlier. The hardest thing for me about college ball was studying film, I couldn't stand it. It was three hours a day of just watch a play and rewind it 10 times and watch it again. But you know what I found out in the film room? If you'll actually be disciplined in the film room, you'll be a better player on the field. Because in studying the film, you learn the tendencies of your opponent. See, certain guys, because we're big and we're heavy, when they get down and they want to run the football... See, to run the ball, you got to come off and you got to block straight ahead. And so what guys will do to cheat is they'll put their hand on the ground and they'll put their weight on their hand. And if you watch closely, a guy who has a bad habit as an offensive lineman will put his hand down and he'll have so much weight on his fingers, his knuckles will turn white. And so guess what I can do as a defensive lineman when you come up and you line up and I watch your knuckles turn white. I start hollering, rabbit, 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 because they're going to run the ball. And that same guy who weighs heavy on his front hand when they're going to run the ball, I learned in watching film study, he'll do what I call sitting light when they're going to pass the ball. Those same fingers that drive down deep in the grass when he's going to run, they barely brush the grass when they're going to pass the ball. Because now I don't need my weight going forward. I need my weight back in my hip so I can pop up. And guess what I holler when I watch his fingers just barely touch the grass. Now it's not ready. It's pig, pig, pig. They're going to pass the ball. And I'm better on the field because I've been studying the film. You're missing it. The same stuff that keeps besetting you. You're not studying the playbook. The same things keep tripping you up. Get in the playbook. Watch the film. Keep going over it. The enemy, the adversary, the opponent has not changed. He has three basic missions. Steal, kill, destroy. I don't care how he paints it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how great it makes you feel. Steal, kill, destroy. And when you leave your house, every day you can walk out saying the same thing. When he shows up, it's steal, kill, destroy. I don't care how fancy he paints it. Steal, kill, destroy. But you learn that by studying the book. So to wrap up today, Warren Wiersbe, my last illustration. Explain verse 17 in the following way. The purpose of Bible study is not just to understand doctrines and to be able to defend the faith as important as those things are. The ultimate purpose is the equipping of the believer who reads it. It is the word of God that equips people, God's people, to do the work of God. So in conclusion today, we should be driven to study God's word. Because we have the gift of Scripture. Because of all that we gain from Scripture. And because we understand the goal of Scripture. Three parting applications I'll give you for Bible study. For the discipline of studying the Bible. And these are going to be so deep that you're going to have to write them down. And you need to muse on these as you go about your day. Okay? First one, get in the Bible early. Get in the Bible early. You need time built into your day every day to get in the Bible and let nothing encroach on that time. Psalm says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for the old God. You have to treat The Bible like taking in food and drink. Get in the Bible early. Here's a second one. It's deep too. You ready? Get in the Bible often. Get in the Bible early. Get in the Bible often. Don't be satisfied with one time a day. Hey, I eat more than one time a day. I do. I eat at meals. Sometimes I eat between meals. Sometimes I eat stuff thinking that was the meal, and go back to get a different meal. (laughs) Y'all pray for me. (laughs) So get in the Bible. Early get in the Bible often. Here's the third one, a little bit longer. Allow the Holy Spirit to bend your life in the shape of the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, man, one of the hardest ideas of being learned in the Bible. Here's what smart folks do with the Bible if you're not careful. You will try to bend the Bible to fit your life rather than bending your life to fit the Bible. So get in the Bible early, get in the Bible often, and then allow the Holy Spirit to bend your life in the shape of the Bible. So we're going to pray here in a second. And as we go into prayer, you have to assess yourself. I can't do this for you. Allow the Holy Spirit to look into your heart today. Because everything I have just said to you is straight gibberish. If you don't belong to Christ, there's no concept of spiritual discipline, because without Christ, you don't have spiritual life. And if you're lost, yielding your life to Christ is the most important thing you can do. And then, to quote an old Baptist deacon in the church I grew up, or didn't grow up in, but the church I pastored, he would sing a song in devotion, and the song was titled "Do You Know Him." And there's a verse in the song, and that's where I want to leave the Christians today. After he asked the question in kind of a call and response song of do you know him, he would say, well, live like you know him. And that was a verse in the song. That's my admonition to you. Let us live like we know him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the Bible, the gift of the scripture. And Lord, help us every day to get in the word often, to get in the word early and often. And then, Lord, to let your word get in us and the Holy Spirit bend our life in the shape of the word of God. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.